Hey everybody, Tyler Smith here. More than one lesson, Minisode 35. Uh, Josh, my co-host Josh is here. Josh. Oh, here I am. Yeah. Uh, we, See, I, what? Well, last week I, I spoke before you introduced me, and so now I think you're just trying to... I just want to introduce you sooner. You're just trying you know? to jump the gun there and, and keep me from doing that again by just introducing me, and then I can't mess that up. Well, people tune in for you. That's you know true. What I mean, so I got to get you in sooner. Hi, everyone. Ugh. I'm glad like you. I'm glad you're here to hear the beautiful sound of my voice. We should just do voices like that all throughout the episode. Well, let me tell you about the movies. <laughs> well, now it's now it's affecting your cadence. Oh yes. Is that like D- a Barry White type? You thing? know what? I think I'm turning into Robert Evans actually. Fair. Oh yeah. Well, that was a movie. <laughs> You've seen the kid stays in the picture. I haven't, I but I should. Oh, my friend, uh, my it. friend Matt Rogers, a uh, guy I went to school with, um, the, who made for the title with me. Matt mm-hmm. and I made for the title together. Matt worked for uh, Robert Evans when we were both in school out here, mm-hmm. like at his home. He worked in his personal home fixing his computers or something like that at one point. Um, and he had some interesting stories. No, I don't doubt it. Which makes Did he me pay him in stories because I think it's, I think it's worth it. <laughs> Probably, it made me want to see that film even more, and I still haven't seen it. It's it's amazing. It sounds fascinating. Incidentally, real quick, here's a fun thing. Okay. Uh, so listeners know that you made a film called For the Title, and we have discussed in the past about how that the title of your film has uh, made it very hard to Google. Yes. All right. Uh, Last night, I had a dream. Okay. And you were in it. Okay. You had finally achieved your lifelong goal okay. of owning and operating a seafood restaurant <laughs> that was located in Chicago. Okay. Um, but it was like slightly upscale and swanky. All right. The name of the restaurant was simply Fish. Okay. Not like the band, spelled with, so it's spelled with an F. So, so spelled correctly. Yeah. The restaurant was not doing well and you were about to lose the, the restaurant. And I was so, and I was very sad for you because I knew this was your lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, it's like, I've, I've been there before, but I'm going to go tonight and I'm going to bring some friends and you know, we'll, we'll pay and at least help out tonight. Right. I was like, but I don't remember the address. So I went into Google and I typed in fish restaurant. And I was like, this is the problem <laughs> is that this thing's hard to Google. It's just like for the title. Uh, but then I went in and, and, uh, and even though it was supposedly like upscale, it looked totally generic. I, I walked into like basically a McDonald's, but also it had like the interior decoration was like, um, uh, Mexican themed. So there was a Mexican, there was no themed, Mexican food. No, it was pure <laughs> seafood. So, uh, and I, and you're just like, Hey guys, how you doing? It's like, Hey Josh, like we were all really nice to you because we all knew your business was going under, uh, because you picked a terrible name for your seafood restaurant. Well, I'm, I'm done with things like that. I'm writing a new book that I think is going to be a big hit. It's called Harry from one direction. And I think everyone's going to love it. All right. That should, that should be fine. Yeah. For a moment, I thought you because I don't immediately think of the term One Direction as a band like everybody else, and I could not tell you any of the band members' names. So I thought you meant Harry H A I R Y, Harry from One Direction. I was like, that sounds terrible and like some kind of sexual innuendo. I don't like it at all. Yeah, but, uh, but yes, no. It's uh, you should just write a book called novel. 
but you mean it like, oh, what a novel approach, right? But somehow it'd be a don't play on that. words. Ex- yes, that's why it's important. Yes, you're. Yeah, like for the title. Uh, just, man, <laughs> this is not going to work out. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so uh, I'm glad you mentioned for the title because uh, I'm and I'm glad I recalled as much of that dream as I did because it's ridiculous. <laughs> There's. Uh, that's one of the most frustrating things when you want to find something and you know what it's called, but it's not specific enough mm-hmm. to Google. Like, um, for instance, anyone who works uh, like on film sets probably knows that the the pages that you print up for the day, the 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 script for that day, are called sides. Um, and there used to be a program that I would use to create the sides. You just like plug in the PDF and it would like tell you would tell it what scenes and it would spit out exactly what you wanted. But now you have to pay like a ton of money for that site. Mm-hmm. So I've been Google searching generate sides. <laughs> that doesn't work at all. And I would try and be like more and more specific and you would put like movie sides or film script sides and it's just screenplay sides. Yeah. Try that one. I don't know if I did or not. I tried a bunch of different things, but it's just the word sides is so generic and nobody thinks of it in that. Like it being used in that context is so much less common that you just can't find anything on it. There should be a separate Google for uh, people in the industry. Like, Like the best people. Well, like the best boy, for example. Hey, there you go. Yes. That is a film term. Sure is. So, Or people with fish restaurants. That are Mexican themed, but are not Mexican restaurants. <laughs> really? Why are we not doing this yet? I don't know. But I remember in the dream. Get with it, Congress. <sighs> Talk about a do nothing Congress. should do nothings over there you in want Washington. Get behind this fish yeah. restaurant in, thing. I'm serious. Specific Google is the way to go. Yes. And it will make so much money, it will create jobs. Exactly. Like billions of jobs. Yes. Yes. One could say there it's a make work project, but that's that's all right. It's it's documented. It's pr- it's provable. Is it? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm going to move on, but I wanted to tell you about my fish restaurant, my Josh's fish restaurant dream. Okay. So hopefully you enjoyed it. I did. Yeah. It gives me an idea. No, no, that is not what you should so take I, away. First, I that should is, see if I can get my life savings. Oh no, that if is, I can find it, it's in a sock somewhere. No, Josh, you didn't put this. it in the. I didn't put it in the sock drawer because I thought that's too obvious. Right, you just um, balled your sock up and just threw it across the room, and yeah. you're like, "Got to remember that that's my money sock." Yeah, and then once I have that, I can I can probably buy like I should probably buy like a like a empty lot or something like that. Yeah, in Chicago, because then, then I can build the the, the store myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I could probably maybe save some money if I, if I just buy like a, right. like a Home Depot and you get all the stuff there. You're yeah. going to want to name like a really kind of a, like a hip name, almost right. like maybe like a minimalist type of name. Yeah. That's totally in yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do some sketches and I'll go back yeah. to you next week. You narrow it down to fish and restaurant. <laughs> um, but anyway, so what's brainwave combine them. Fish restaurant fish. Oh, oh. <laughs> fish durant. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, cause then there's no way that business goes out of business. Cause people are like, we got to go to the fish durant. Um, anyway, and then incorporating the Mexican theme, it's fish durante. Uh, this thing, man, I wish I could go back into my dream and explain to uh restaurant tour, Josh. Yeah. 
hey, I've got it. I've got it. He'd be so happy. Yeah. But, you know, but the customers in Chicago, they don't take, they, they don't take kindly to that kind of cleverness. No. It's like, hey, it is, does it serve brats? No, I'm out. <laughs> and they probably incorporate some kind of racial epithet. Probably. Uh, and I will use that little thing that I just said hey, to all right. uh, bring us to uh, today's topic. I'm sorry. That was eight minutes long. Of, was it really? Of nothing. I hope people enjoyed it. Uh, maybe people like getting to know the hosts. Maybe. Um, not that you got to know us at all based no. on this nonsense that we just talked about. But anyway, uh, Josh, we have a new best picture. We have it? Yeah, well, America and, oh, the, America and the world. They yeah. have a new best movie. Best movie of the world. Yes. Um, and so uh, I assume at some point in the near future, you are currently uh, on set, not at the moment, but uh, at this stage not at the stage of your life, you are on set. And so I assume once you are done with the project uh, on which you are working, you uh, you will write something about Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, listeners knew that we predicted this, and of course, no one else did. No one thought 12 Years a Slave no, would it was Best Picture. us alone, and we should have capitalized yeah. on that somehow. Everyone was like, Philomena all the way. Yeah. For the win. They kept saying it. Um, but yeah, so uh, 12 Years a Slave, we don't have a whole lot of time, uh, <laughs> just because uh, the thing about Josh working is that... Uh, uh, it makes him tired. He's a little tuckered out right now. Little oh, poor, yeah. poor guy. Poor yep. little guy. I have a day off tomorrow though. So if I, if I stay up late, I can't stay up that late because, because it will physically be unable. Right. right. But, uh, I guess that's what we're talking about, isn't it? I run out of time because I soon will become physically unable to, to exactly. talk about something in any kind of intelligible way. I really hope that One it happens. could make the argument that we reached that years ago. Yeah. You know, um, people make all sorts of arguments about all sorts of things and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping That's that it happens in defense. Yeah, people make arguments about all kinds yeah, of things. Exactly. What do you, what do you got? What's your problem? Nobody ever plays that card in a debate. I don't see, I don't see the issue here. Um, I'm kind of hoping that it happens during the episode. Like it, I'm like, I'm high energy at the beginning and then we get to the end and I'm like, yeah. is this your version of high energy? I'm pretty high energy right now. Fair enough. I mean, like, if, if you, the, the listeners aren't looking at my face. <laughs> That's true. So they can't tell, like, and that's good that my eyes are half closed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Seth has been doing to you, but like, your face is bleeding. I sp- all from uh, just all over. Yeah, just from every pore. Well, I enough. did spend the last two days in a prison, so that's there right. you go. A women's prison. Oh yeah, watch out. Mm-hmm. Twelve years. At, speaking of prison uh, and uh, like prisoners are, are oh. kind of like slaves. Twelve yeah. years a slave. The, this year's best picture. <laughs> Best picture? This year's best picture, 12 slaves a year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I feel like that's a pretty good rate. It's a rousing comedy Um, starring Martin Lawrence and Kevin Hart. I like that Kevin Hart. He's pretty funny. He's enjoyable. Um, All right. So 12 Years a Slave. uh, I guess... I guess we'll go with just general first impressions of, of the film. Josh, what do, what do you think of 12 Years a Slave, directed by Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen. Um, I liked it. I liked it all right. Um, I didn't. Fortunately, I th- fortunately for the film, I had seen Shame and really didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like this more. So I think that was a 
that was a win for the filmmaker. Yes. Definitely um, a giant step up. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, I thought it had more, uh, it had more interesting characters to it, possibly because it's based on a real story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, I don't know that I knew when the movie started, like when I was watching, starting to watch the movie that it was based on a true story. Hmm. And I almost wish that I had be- because I feel like knowing that knowing it's true gives it a little more credence somehow. Yeah. Cause you don't feel like it's made like it's made up to pull your heartstrings, you know, because it, it does whenever it's a, uh, an issue that like we all agree with, you know, like no one's watching that movie and is like, now you're not going to, is this movie going to try and convince me that slavery is wrong? Cause yeah. I don't want to have to be told something I don't believe. Yeah. Um, it's not that like we're all on board with it. So I, a lot of times when a movie is, s- seems to be speaking out against a system that everyone has decided is wrong it it can have a tendency to be manipulative or um, maybe to be maudlin in some kind of way. But knowing that it's true, then you know that it's not somebody trying to trying to just create a story to say, look how terrible this is. Right. Um, it's just from an actual terrible story. Yes. Which I think okay. makes it mean more. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, though I'm not sure I agree. Hmm. Um, about this film in particular, or about that idea, about this film in particular. Okay, um, because I think it's even though the story is true, you can still make a film from the point of view of isn't this a terrible thing? Mm-hmm. And in the end, that is, I think, what keeps me from loving Twelve Years a Slave. There's mm-hmm. a lot of good stuff in it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of great stuff in it. Mm-hmm. There are scenes and characters that work beyond any capacity that I ever expected, especially given how much I did not really like shame. Uh, but ultimately the thing that got me was that I, I think the film's biggest achievement is how unblinking, uh, a portrayal of slavery it is. Um, I think when, when dealing with an institution like slavery that everybody agrees is wrong, um, I think really there's not much you not much a person can bring to it uh except to portray it in a way that we haven't really seen before and and certainly I, you know I've seen roots I've seen Amistad I've seen I've seen slavery portrayed a number of different ways but this one felt particularly harsh uh as it should be it should be hard to watch uh and he did achieve that um and so uh that I think because this, you know, Roots was not easy to watch. Amistad was not easy to watch. But this was maybe the first instance that I was able to watch it and think, yeah, there's really no way out of this. Like, you're a slave till you die. Like, you benefit nothing from this. Mm-hmm. It is literally you work yourself to death. Mm-hmm. And you will either die from old age having spent a life of doing something for somebody else for no benefit. Or you stop working or you revolt or somebody just decides to kill you one day and they do so with no consequence. Mm. Like it, it does such a great job of hitting home that like, yeah, there's no way out. Mm. And that was something that 
I think I understood from an intellectual standpoint before, but this one from a purely visceral standpoint, it's like, yeah, there's, there's no getting out of this. And though, though his story ends well, he leaves behind a lot of people that do that, whose story is different than his and thus they have no out. Yeah. His out is the truth. If he just gets the truth out about who he is and what has happened to him, he's gone. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I say it's no problem, but obviously it's 12 years. Right. Other characters like Patsy, for example, um, mm-hmm. played by Lupita Nyong'o in an Oscar winning role. Um, she has no out. Mm-hmm. She's not going anywhere. Yeah. There's nothing she can do. And yeah. that, and by making her a character, I feel like that really hit home that yes, good for Solomon Northup. He's only, he's just one. Yeah. There are thousands, if not millions of slaves that don't have the opportunities that he has. So that more than anything is what I think the film accomplished. And that is not a small accomplish to make you feel things that most people in this life and certainly most people watching the film are never going to experience. Yeah. And I think, I I do think it made you identify with that feeling of like, there's of there being nothing that you can do. And, um, I I feel like that, that idea hit stronger because it didn't it didn't give you a kind of character who does that stereotypical cinematic thing of like I'm not going to take this anymore and I'm going to stand up no matter what it takes. Right. Um he does it once. Yeah. And it doesn't really go very well for him. Yeah, because like because that's kind of the reality of it is like sure you can stand up and be like oh, I've had enough sir and and you know fight but what in in that world and in that situation it wouldn't do a thing yeah and so as opposed to like a sort of brave heart type thing where you know you where it ends with him screaming for freedom or something yeah uh it's it's much more again because it's based on a true story it's much more believable that this this is the world that this guy lives in there's nothing that he can do about it. even fighting doesn't do anything right. um even running doesn't do anything yeah and then that makes it feel more sort of claustrophobic and almost kind of a Hitchcockian um, sense of, of, I don't know that I I thought of that a little during the movie. And definitely when you were just talking now about like the type of Hitchcock movies where somebody's mistaken for someone else and put into, you know, put into someone else's terrible situation. And it's odd that you bring up uh, Hitchcock because when I was watching, th- there are so many choices that the director makes that I really responded to. One of them is uh, the use of uh, Hans Zimmer's score and the fact that that score sounds very large and bombastic and not unlike a horror score. And then the way it is shot, and then in some cases the sound design, I felt like I was watching a horror movie. Um, because like I, I have a very specific memory of a smash cut to a riverboat and the paddle, uh, probably, probably another word for it, but the paddle at the, at the end, at the back of the boat that, you know, pushes everything forward. It's a smash cut to that kind of a close up of that. And the sound is deafening and the music is frightening. And in that moment, it really, it felt like he was using uh, aspects of other genres 
to convey the literal horror of the institution of slavery and just how horrific it is. And I remember thinking that is a very interesting idea and one that worked very well for me. Um, and just, uh, and then the last thing that I will mention as far as an achievement. So we were toying with the idea of doing an episode about the movie Lincoln, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln. Um, and I think I've moved away from that. I'm, I'm not sure yet. But one thing that, that bothered you and bothered me is that in, the, in Lincoln, if the characters are pro-slavery, we tend to look at that from the point of view of 2012 at the time. Um, and we, we judge them accordingly, like, and the behave and the way they act and the way they are written is judged like that. Like right. they're clearly in the wrong. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying slavery is right, but what I'm saying is it is, it was such an institution that some people, it didn't even occur to them to question the morality of it, not to imply that they hated black people or that they were murderous or monstrous they simply had not questioned it now that doesn't necessarily i don't think that necessarily excuses them but as far as how they behave it's entirely possible for somebody to behave like a total gentleman and own slaves Mm -hmm. and lincoln did not the film did not convey that it literally was like these people are just caricature monsters yeah it, it was it was uh it was a film that didn't realize that it was coming from that hindsight. Like you're talking about, like it was, it was so easy to paint people on, on one clearly on one side or the other of the issue. Yeah. And there were either people who had slaves cause they didn't, they didn't care and they, you know, or, or like didn't think that black people were real people or something like that. Or on the other side of the aisle, you had like the, the, moral righteous freedom fighters. And right. it, 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 it's just, I don't know, becomes, I don't know, especially with a historical fiction. I, that just is, is weak, I think. And it's hard to argue against that because people will say like, yeah, but these guys are representing slavery and evil institution. And it's like, and I was like, this is a hard and nuanced argument to make. And then thankfully in 12 years a slave, we have the Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch character. Yeah. That whole sequence is some of the most fascinating, complex, and difficult material to deal with because yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch is like a, a Baptist minister or something like that mm-hmm. and a genuinely decent man who owns slaves. Yeah. Now, he treats them about as well as they can be treated, but they are still property. Right. He, it, the, the, the idea of freeing them does not occur to him. Yeah. It's not that he entertains it and thinks, well, I can't do that. It just doesn't occur to him. Yeah. And well, and then when it comes up, he does, he is sort of forced into a situation where he's like, I, I just can't, I can't do this. I guess there is that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so, and, but, but even then it's, you can tell there's a conflict within him. Like he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to continue to own the slaves. He doesn't like want to, he doesn't gain anything out of not, well, I guess he does. Uh, what I'm, what I mean to say is he doesn't like. It isn't because he has some kind of evil attitude or, or ill will towards Solomon. It's just he's he's putting other things above the right of 
uh, treating these people like people. Right. You know? And that's the thing is for a number of people, I would assume that the idea of freeing slaves was uh, people felt that it would destroy the Southern economy if suddenly they have to pay these people and all that sort of thing. And so, um, and that was their primary concern. Now I still think it's wrong to put that concern over other things, obviously. And that's what they weren't realizing. Like that's, that's the, the weird institutional thing about it is that because it was so normal, they weren't, they weren't realizing that you were putting your own, economic yeah. uh, well-being above basic human rights. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting because that to me does oddly enough showing a genuinely good man who owns slaves, I think that does more to condemn the evil of the institution of slavery than having every character who owns slaves be just this monster uh, of a person. Because you realize this thing is so horrible, it makes good people do bad things. Yeah. It makes them complicit in something that if they really thought about it, like in a real way, they'd say, oh, this is terrible. Yeah. But it was so pervasive and it, and it really clung to certain aspects of who, pe- of who we are as people, which is – self-centered and we want what we want. We want to live in comfort. We want to be successful. And if that's on the back of somebody else, whether you're paying them or not, so be it. Yeah. Um, it's, it makes me think a little bit of, of, uh, another film, which for me was more effective than, uh, 12 years a slave, which is the movie downfall, which I think you, you have not seen. seen. Yeah. Um, and it, that one specifically reminds me of that because it centers on this, this woman who's a nice young normal woman who was a like a secretary for Hitler mm-hmm. and like you see the her when you see her life and you see like a normal person's life and granted she was up there a little bit if she was a secretary to Hitler but at the same time she was a secretary she was an underling she wasn't like in charge of concentration camps she wasn't like uh you know she wasn't murdering Jews or anything like that but she was clearly complicit in yeah these things and she was aiding this man who was doing this terrible thing. But, uh, she's an example of that type of character who has just has lived their life thinking that this world is normal and can't imagine doing things any other way. And through doing that is participating in heinous evil. Yeah. And one of the, one of the most powerful things about that film is that the, how much can I say about it? Do you want me to not say too much about it for you? No, that's fine. This doesn't reveal anything about the plot, really. I, and I guess you can kind of how, figure out the plot. How does World War II t- <laughs> turn out? The ship sinks. Okay. Um, uh, the but, good ship World War II sinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it, it ends with uh, an interview from the actual woman yeah. that uh, the story is based on. There was a documentary later on called Blind Spot. Really about Hit- and I think it was called Blind Spot Hitler's Secretary. So I yeah. think it was a documentary that featured interviews with her. Maybe, um, but um, I didn't see that either. And she she says something in, in at the end of it, like we we didn't think you know we we had anything to do with it. Like we we weren't 
we weren't responsible. She was like, we were all thinking that, well, well, I'm not responsible. And then she says, but we were, we were all responsible. It was all of our fault. Yeah. And I found that, that very powerful. And so I think, I think 12 years of slave gets in that direction a little bit. I don't think it's, it's as successful. And I think part of it may be because that, uh, because Steve McQueen is the type of filmmaker that made a movie like shame. Mm hmm. And that is to say, the sort of things that he does in Shame are still present a little bit in 12 Years a Slave, and I think drag it down a little bit. Would you agree with that? Uh, when you say the types of things, can you be more specific? Because I, I think I am inclined to agree with you. But. Yeah. I, a, a, certain, a certain type of attitude that I think um, – maybe I'm saying this because I've heard other people – make this quote but sort of fetishizes um misery yes misery porn is another phrase i've heard i've heard people say that and i i feel like certainly i think that applies more to shame than it does to this one but there is still this and and you know what that that also kind of goes back to your horror movie example too because Mm -hmm. people don't watch horror movies so that they can understand what a terrible thing serial killing is right. and realize that this is something, this is an evil in society that shouldn't happen. They watch it because there's something exciting about it. There's something edgy about it. Uh, a lot of people, they, they like to see the blood and gore, you know, like that's, that's exciting and it's fun somehow. Yeah. And this almost has that, that kind of, that sort of feel to it, you know? Yeah. Um, almost like glamorized, and it's not violence strictly because there's not a lot of open violence in the film, but it is kind of like glamorized misery. Yeah. And I feel like it's, it's more obvious in shame than in this one, because Definitely. in this it's like you can't, the more unblinking the portrait is going to be, the more ugly the film you're going to make, the more miserable it's going to be. We are dealing with, you know, an entire race of people that were treated as less than people to, treated as property. They could be killed. They could be hanged. They could be whipped. They could be beaten like with no, with absolute impunity on the part of the, of the, the perpetrator. And so, uh, so I feel like it fits better with this film than with shame, partially because as you and I talked about, uh, with that film, um, partially because, when the character in shame is at his lowest point, that is when Steve McQueen chose to be timid and chose to not show us something after a whole movie of showing us stuff. Mm-hmm. And not that I, not that I had tremendous desire to see what, what he was hiding, but part of me is like, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do this, then you need to go all the way. And the fact that you blinked just now, now that things have gotten for the character as bad as they can get, it's like, all right, well, now I'm wondering what you're doing. Like, are you actually committed to showing the harsh reality of this guy's life? Or are you just kind of going enough to get people interested, to get some controversy, to feel like you've explored it without ever going the whole way? And with 12 Years a Slave, I think the nature of the, of the subject just naturally allows itself to showing stuff much more harshly. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I do think it is the kind of thing that people who, whether you're rich or not, 
most people, like I said, most people who see the movie are never going to experience slavery on either side of it. And so, uh, they can watch it and there is a certain degree of like, they may, they may, might not get, uh, like excited by it. I don't mean sexually excited, but like in the, in the same way that you watch a horror movie and just you're excited by the visceral emotions that you're feeling, they might not get excited about it in that sense, but they can watch it. And I'm sorry, this isn't, maybe this is not necessarily the film's fault. I don't know, but they can pat themselves on the back or they can rest assured that like, yes, this is a terrible thing. And then they kind of go back to their lives. Like it doesn't actually cost them anything. It doesn't really point a finger. And that's, I guess maybe that's one of the reasons that I'm not a huge fan of the film. I saw somebody on Facebook said that, uh, they said that this was, this was the Schindler's list of, of slavery. I was like, I disagree. It is the pianist of slavery. Schindler's list tells a story from now, if the film was made from Benedict Cumberbatch's point of view and all about choices he has to make, then it's your Schindler's list. And the fact that it's choosing not to do that, choosing to be somebody who's not, who's right in the thick of it, that's fine. But the thing about Schindler's List is that it's a guy who is a pragmatist and in this, and he makes a lot of very humane choices for entirely the wrong reason. And by the end realizing, boy, oh boy, if I had done this differently, I could have done so much more. And that points the finger at the audience and says, what could you do more with? And why are you doing the things that you do when you give a homeless person a dollar? Are you doing it because it will help them or are you doing it because you can say, I gave a homeless person a dollar today? Because if you're doing it to help them, you might actually give them 10. If you're doing it to make yourself feel, feel better, you'll start calculating either consciously or unconsciously. What's the smallest amount I can give and, and feel like I've done something. And so I feel like Schindler's list. I'm, I'll repeat this by the way, in, a year when we finally get to talking about it. Um, uh, like that one requires something of the, of the audience. Whereas 12 years a slave, I feel like it doesn't really require anything of me except to watch it and say, boy, that's a shame. Hmm. Pun intended. Oh, well done. (laughs) Um, I don't know. And so, so it's, that that it's, is a, there's a, it's a certain type of exploitative, but I, I'd be reluctant to call it that because it doesn't seem as wrong as that, as intrinsically wrong as exploited exploitation is. Yeah, I feel like that's that's that goes into sort of different things than what I was talking about. But I I did sort of feel similarly that it it didn't feel didn't feel like it had anything new to say about the horrors of slavery. Right. And I've talked with people who strongly disagree with me who feel, who say like, I felt like I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And I mean, I I didn't really feel that way. I don't feel like I looked at it and, and, and suddenly realized that slavery was evil or like realized it in a new way. And we are saying we can realize more what it's like to be inside it. Right. I feel like I, I recognize that more, and that's that's um, that's an achievement. As yeah, well. I think that's something good. I just I just think like 
that the movie as a whole was not as effective for me that it did that one thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I think, I think Stephen Queen is a very visually talented filmmaker. Yes, very much. So. Um, I almost wish that he would stop move, making movies with such heavy topic, uh, subject matter. I yeah. think I would like them more, honestly. Yeah, I think I probably would as well. And so not that he has to make movies that I would like, but well, I, I would prefer it if he made movies <laughs> I like. Um, but admittedly I'm biased. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing is, um, you know, there there are a handful of people. I, when I went and saw, it, I I happened to be in the screening room with a woman named uh, Amy Nicholson, who is LA Weekly's uh, head film critic, and she's been on Battleship Pretension a few times. So she and I talked about the movie for about fifteen minutes afterwards, and she really did not like it. Really yeah. did not respond to it. Uh, I believe she might have used the term misery porn. It's I think that's one of the others. That's one of the first that. places I heard it. I think is when you told me she said that. Yeah. And, uh, but one of the things, and she was bothered by Steve McQueen saying like, what is, why does he keep wanting to tell these stories? Like, why does he just revel in just human misery? Like, and, and, and the weird that, thing is, I don't, I don't begrudge somebody that if those are the stories you're interested in, then that's fine. Yeah. I think what I was starting to say is that that I feel like speaks to the specific thing I was saying, like the okay. reveling in the misery. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't know what that is and I don't know, uh, maybe for him, I don't know. It, it could be, it's, it's a personal thing even. Cause I, I do think it's interesting sometimes when, when filmmakers, filmmakers will explore something that's personal to them or that does something specifically for them. Yeah. I mean, Ingmar Bergman made a ton of movies about death because he was, fascinated and terrified by it yeah his films tend to be a little miserable yeah um and i enjoy those more maybe because they deal more specifically with philosophical ideas which is more interesting to me yeah um but it could be the same sort of thing where for steve mcqueen this is exploring uh, human misery yeah and that might be something that is very artistically rewarding for him yeah. Um, I, I can certainly see that. And, and certainly I think it is for people who watch them too, because there are a lot of people who love his films. And you know, it's, and the idea now that, now that we've zeroed in on, on the word reveling. Um, and if that is specifically what you were talking about in regards to how he treats misery in his films, I go back and forth in it there on that because part of me feels like, as I was saying, especially with 12 years a slave, which is if you're going to do this, the nature of the subject is such that it requires you to revel in it. If you're going not revel in, it, but just really explore it and take the time and just not flinch. Um, I think there's probably a fine line between reveling in something and just not flinching while looking closely at it. Um, and so, uh, and that's the thing is maybe because of the nature of, because of the subjects he picks, I don't know. I think I'm inclined to not necessarily give him a pass, but be a bit more forgiving because I don't know. I think if he, I think that's the way to do it. If you're going to explore these things, that's how you need to explore them, which is what bothered me about shame is that he did not, he, he flinched there mm-hmm. at the end. He blinked. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so then to me, I think it becomes a question more of the things he's choosing to make movies about. Mm-hmm. And if he, feels like exploring things that most people don't want to think about or talk about. That's not to me a terrible motive. No, no. 
Um, now, there is the possibility that he – or that any any filmmaker, it happens uh, a lot, especially these days, uh, somebody who says, I want to make a movie that matters. I want to mm-hmm. make a movie about something important. Once you start getting into that territory, it's like, all right, that's not a bad instinct. But once you start doing that, you might start losing focus of the things that makes a movie satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I think – and I don't know if that's one of his motivations either. But I will say that his movies tend to be the kind of thing – there tends to be a certain social relevance that people say, oh, this is a movie you need to see. You've got to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't – again, I don't know if that's his motive. But uh, but I tend to be a bit uh, suspicious of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that is what ultimately you know, the, losing focus on a character or whatever it is that can drive a story. That ultimately is what gets me about 12 Years a Slave. Shiotel Ejiofor is a great actor, yeah. and I think he turns in a great performance. But by the end of the film, just and throughout the movie, I realized I don't really know who this guy is. I feel like I don't know much about him. I felt like I had just watched The Passion of the Christ. And as I've said on this show before, that's a movie where I was watching a lot of bad things happen to a guy I didn't know. Hmm. He felt like a stranger. And I was like, well, he certainly doesn't deserve all this. I, I got that. <laughs> but I still don't know him. Hmm. I, I knew I got to know Patsy better. I got to know Epps better. I got to know almost every other character. And he sort of became just the eyes through which we view this institution. And part of me is like, okay, well, that's not the worst way to tell a story. But he's also not merely because he was a real person, but also this is a character who has his own thoughts and feelings. And I'd like to know what those look like. I'd I'd like to know what those are rather than simply using him to introduce me to this world. Hmm. Um, That is not the part of the actor. Uh, That's not to blame the actor. I think he does a great job. Uh, But by the end, I just felt it all felt a little, I felt surprisingly distanced from it. And I feel Hmm. like the film specifically did not want me to feel that. Mm-hmm. What what did you think about that? I'm I'm kind of alone in that one. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't feel like we get a whole lot from him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure which way I feel. I don't feel like he's a super developed character. Yeah. Um, but then I don't know that a lot of the characters are real well developed. I mean, when you get to Michael Fassbender and Lupita Nyong'o and even Sarah Paulson, like, I feel like yeah. those characters are developed. Yeah. And, and yeah, maybe the film does lose its way a little bit there and kind of becoming more, maybe the script itself realizes that this is, this is a more interesting uh, story beat than, yeah. than we've been going through so far um, and kind of it kind of shifts to focus a lot on that, even though he's peripheral to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. And it's, I mean, part of that also can be, it, again, if it's based on a true person's life or a real person's true story, you can only do so much to change it to, you know, to, to show you something about that character. But the weird thing is a film like this, you can justify going two and a half hours. It goes two hours and 10 minutes, but they do throw the, t- the, the cards up on the screen saying that Solomon Northup spent the rest of his life actively fighting against slavery. You incorporate that 
especially at the beginning where I think I, I used to think that at the beginning they don't show much about his interaction or his uh, I don't know his uh, antipathy or whatever to, to slavery like there's a scene where he's you know he's a free man he's in a shop and then there's like a another there, there's a, a slave in there and and Solomon Northup just kind of views him with uh, just like, oh, huh, interesting. And just doesn't seem – and seems rather cold and passive about it. But then, of course, he experiences it and he spends the rest of his life trying to kill this institution. Mm. What would it be like for a black man, albeit free, to fight slavery at a time when even even when you lived in the north, people – it wasn't a huge priority for people? What must that have been like? There you have your character arc. There we get to know the character a little bit. But no, they stopped telling the story the minute he was free. And part of me feels like that is a missed opportunity. If you wanted to make a movie about slavery, you do the one you did. You want to make a movie about Solomon Northup? You incorporate what he chose to do with his experience, not merely the experience. I feel like if they did that, then I think the film would be much more engaging. For me, maybe so. Anyway, maybe so. And I, I do think the film is trying to be a film about slavery more than it is trying to be a film about him. Yeah, and and I guess that's that kind of bothers me. Is Solomon Northup had, was more important as a historical figure, and I don't necessarily feel like film has a responsibility to portray things accurately. But part of me feels like, okay, if you're inspired enough by this guy to want to tell his story, then tell his story. Don't just use him as a means to an end. Hmm. Like if you want to tell a slavery story, just pick one or just make one up and just incorporate things, you know, to be true. Um, but yeah, I felt like they're kind of trading on his story so that they could do something larger without doing justice to him. Hmm. Um, but that's me. Um, uh, and then, so that's the thing. Like, I feel like we've been, you know, I feel like there's been a very good conversation in which we talk about some of the things that the film does do some of the stuff it doesn't do. Um, all in all, I think it was a very good movie. If somebody wanted to see it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, try to wave them off of it. Hmm. Um, there is a character who shows up. If the film is ever bad, it is when Brad, per- Brad Pitt's character shows up. The performance is not very good. The script is not very good. He plays a character who is uh, an abolitionist. Um, and the way they write him and the way he is played, none of it works for me. Hmm. Um, and it just stuck out like a sore thumb. It was as obvious as could be. Yeah. I don't know, but that, and that one's not just me. There are, there are other people that have said that. Did you have any kind of response to that, to his character at all? Um, was, as soon as I saw that it was Brad Pitt, I was like, oh, he must play the good guy. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. I didn't really have any feeling like he was going to, uh, like I kind of knew what was going to happen with him and then it just does happen. But I mean, by that point in the film, uh, you, you want it you want him to just get out of that much yeah. like a horror movie and just like leave these people alone, get out of the house. Um, the house of slavery, right? <laughs> hey, that's a good movie title. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, and I guess maybe because the film sort of ends with that, or that's towards the end. Uh, it kind of stuck with me a little bit. Um, and it might've worked better if the, if they had cast somebody else, Brad Pitt was one of the producers on the film. Um, maybe if they had cast somebody else, Brad Pitt is, I think a very, very good actor in the right role. And the right role means anything after 1970. Um, I saw him in Troy didn't work for me. Uh, he just, he has very modern sensibility to him. And so casting him in that 
especially when so many other actors, I think, are approximating a one could say an old world style of of behavior to see Brad Pitt show up. And the fact that it's a, a genuine movie star can be distracting. I feel like if they had gone with a lesser known actor, I think it would have been more effective. But anyway, um, like, a, like a Chaz Palmentary. Oh, he should be in every slavery movie. I feel like I feel like he could adapt pretty well to that that uh, you know way of speaking. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So um, so overall, it's a film that I that I would recommend. I think it's good. I I, I didn't love it. Um, let me ask you this: Do you think it deserved to win Best Picture? Mm. We'll look at it in both ways this year specifically, and then just in the overall canon of Best Pictures. So this year specifically, this year specifically, I liked her more. Yeah. Um, we both, you know, we didn't last week, we, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about this. Um, so you can hear what we thought of that. Um, but that may, on the one hand, that's something that responds to both of us, I think on more of a personal level. So I, I can't necessarily say that it's a bit, a better movie because I am biased that way. Um, but trying to look at it from an unbiased perspective, I feel like it has more to say about today's world and has more interesting things to say about the world that we live in today than 12 Years a Slave does, um, which is kind of the same way that I felt with uh, Social Network and King's Speech. I felt like mm. Social Network was a, a movie of the time, like it spoke to the time. Very much so. Um, and I feel, I feel that way about her. Again, I'm maybe biased. Um but I don't know. It, it doesn't. It doesn't seem surprising as a best picture. Twelve Years a Slave. No, not at all. Um, it it was the like front runner the minute it was announced. Yeah, and and it also, but it doesn't swing all the way the other way that it feels like just Oscar bait, right. and it, it feels like the Oscar people had to vote for it or or else. Um, if Lincoln had won, that's the way I would have felt about Lincoln. I would yes. have felt like people voted for this because they felt like they were supposed to. Yeah. Instead, um, uh, <laughs> they went with Argo. <laughs> right. Um, I wish they were supposed to for a different reason. Um, but yeah, so, so that, I don't know. And did I already say it's not, it's certainly not the worst of best pictures. Uh, you didn't say that, but at the moment I, I want to focus on, uh, on 2013 specifically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was not that great of a movie year and, uh, and there weren't really a lot of movies that came out that I that I could say like, Oh, that was my favorite movie of the year. Certainly I have a favorite. But like, oh, that's the best one. If that didn't win, then come on. There's the, there's something wrong. There was nothing quite like that. I mean, I loved her. I loved Inside Lewin Davis. I love Enough Said. Um, and then certainly of the nominees, um, I really did love Wolf of Wall Street. And that's, I think, a film that speaks, like you said, to our, to the time. Yeah. While also looking at the admittedly more recent past. Mm -hmm. So like between that and her... Um, I'm not a huge fan of Gravity. I think it won the Oscars it deserved to win. I like it a lot. I, but I don't see it as much as a best picture because I think it is more a technical thing than anything. Yeah. I think the story is is pretty thin and there's not a lot in... Uh, the, the themes are kind of obvious. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean I didn't like it. It was definitely one of my favorites of the year, but uh, but... I can see that. I think it's valid that not winning best picture. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like Wolf of Wall Street, American Hustle, Nebraska, Captain Phillips, Philomena, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, and Her. I loved Her. I loved Wolf of Wall Street. 
I really responded to Captain Phillips, but I'm fine. I, I understand why that wouldn't win. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm fine with 12 years of slave winning. It's not, it's not a film that I thought was like, Oh, that was just terrible. Like you said, if Lincoln had won, I would have felt that way about Lincoln. I don't feel that way about 12 years of slave. I'm fine with it winning. Uh, it is in the, in the pantheon of best picture winners. It's, it's pretty, it's not bad. There are certainly much, much worse movies. And in many ways it is a very effective film and you could do a lot worse than that. And even within it, there are moments of, I think, absolute brilliance and genius, uh, certainly on the parts of uh, some of the actors. But anyway, so, all right, 12 Years a Slave. Uh, this episode was a little bit longer, probably because we were talking about a more recent film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we will sign off there. Uh, if you have any comments, you can leave them in the post, uh, in the comments section of this post, pardon me, at morethanonelesson.com. You can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com more than one lesson.com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. You can also uh, join our Facebook group. And I think that is it as far as announcements. So yes, Josh, thanks for being here. I'm getting pretty sleepy and we'll get you next time. <laughs>